Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. Welcome back, everybody, to the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, uh, David Vizajewski is here with Ryan Brown, my co-host. Hello, everybody. Glad to be back. How are you, David? I'm hanging in there. It's been a insane last few months, um, yeah, as I know it has been for you, too. So uh, thanks, everybody, for your patience as we um, got this latest episode up. Um, we actually tried to record it um, several weeks ago mm. and got like 30 minutes in and and realized that the sound there that it wasn't recording properly. Yeah. So um, and it's just taken us this long to uh, to to get it, um, you know, to find time to sit down and really devote the time to chat about issue 14 of the final quest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, given that issue 15 has, is coming out uh, at a slight delay, it's actually going to be out in July um, instead of May as um, normally would be because of Wendy's surgery a few months ago. Um, I think, you know, kind of perfect timing for us to have a little bit of a, of a late episode because that hopefully, you know, this episode will fill in the gap for everybody as we're waiting for the new issue to come out in July. Exactly. We got a bit of a wait till the next one, so this is good. We can, uh, like you say, fill in the gap. Mm-hmm. That's right. And speaking of of new ElfQuest books coming out, um, you know, in continuing the the theme of the golden age of ElfQuest, there's a whole bunch of new graphic novels that are coming out. Yeah. Um, first, yeah. First, of course, is the art of ElfQuest, which I'm not sure we talked about much in the last episode. Um, that we recorded because I'm not sure if it was fully out yet. But um, the Art of ElfQuest, of course, is the book published by Flesk Publications um, and was part of the Kickstarter project um, back in uh, last fall. And so that book has come out in both the deluxe editions and the trade edition. And of course, it's totally awesome, totally stunning. You know, yeah. some new art that we've never seen before. But to me, the real gold in that book is getting Wendy and Richards like commentary in mm-hmm. every single page with almost every single piece of art Wendy and Richard are kind of talking about their insight and their memories about creating that and that to me is where like the real magic is because it's like you really it's like sitting down and having a conversation with them about the sort of the history of the art of ElfQuest it's pretty awesome exactly we get insight from the creators into these amazing pieces that have been created over the the course of ElfQuest's uh, publishing history. So it's, like you say, it's like a conversation between um, the artists and ourselves as fans. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And and so the next book in the Flesk series of art books is going to be The Art of the Story of ElfQuest. Mm-hmm. And that book um, is slated to ship in just a few weeks, um, in early May. So for, for those of you who backed the Kickstarter, you know, hopefully within the, you know, within the next three to four weeks, we'll all have that amazing second book 
in our hands, whether you ordered the deluxe edition or the trade edition with all of the goodies that came along to those of us who supported the Kickstarter, which of course includes the ever coveted ElfQuest coloring book and all the cool prints that come along with it. So um, I'm really excited about that. But even yeah. better, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I, I just logged into the TFA website and, um, and it looks like in addition to carrying the Dark Horse books, you know, the regular issues of Final Quest, as well as the trade paperbacks, uh, graphic novels, the collecting the Final Quest and the complete Elf Quest, all the books that Dark Horse is putting out. They're also carrying the Flesk books. Now, I'm guessing that these are the trade editions and not the deluxe editions. I would think but, so. Um, but I'm looking there. And, and so via Tifa, uh, it says that the art of the story of Elf Quest is going to ship um, or be available on August 10th of this year. Okay. Um, However, if you go over to directly to Flesk's website, it's fleskpublications.com, um, it looks like you can, you can order um, the, the book. And I don't know if, it, if that means that they'll ship it out when they ship out the Kickstarter pledge orders or not. But you know, if, you, if, you know, if you're desperate to get your hands on it and you didn't support the Kickstarter, it might be worth checking Flesk out and see maybe if you order it now, if they'll send it out, you know, earlier than when it's going to be available via TFA or retail. Just hmm. a thought. Interesting. Um, there's yeah. a lot of excitement too for this particular book. Uh, even from Wendy and Richard, I noticed this seems to be the one that they're most excited or I'd say proud of, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's everybody seems really excited about this one, so I'm I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, and, and and if folks um, are still a little bit um, confused about what the difference between the art of ElfQuest is and the art of the story of ElfQuest, art of ElfQuest is really like an overarching collection and um, kind of review of Wendy's ElfQuest art from the very beginning all the way up to now to the final quest. Art of the story um, sounds like it it, it it's going to do sort of a deep dive on key issues of ElfQuest over the years and show us sort of like the making of process. And so, you know, I think we're going to see things like the raw pencils compared to the inks compared to the colored versions and also get Wendy and Richard's insight into the making of ElfQuest, you know, sort of, you know, the storytelling aspect of it through the words and the art blending focused on these key issues. So um, the cover of it, of course, is the is the pencil art for Hidden Years Nine and a Half, which is, you know, the big fight issue between Rayek and Cutter. And, um, you know, that obviously is is sort of a, a high point issue. So that one's obviously going to be covered. And I'm not 100 percent sure. I can't remember which other ones um, have been mentioned that are going to be in there. But I think um... uh, either way, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, definitely. I think I saw uh, Hidden Years three. Um, I, I, is that the yeah, one that, with Talit and yes. and Little Patch? Yeah, yeah. That um, that sounds right to me. Um, I'm mm-hmm. kind of I'm looking at the description here on Tifa's website, but it's not. It doesn't list. It doesn't say. I'm sorry, on Flesk's website, but it doesn't list. So well, it will uh, be a surprise when we get it. Even better. Exactly. Oh no no okay here. Oh, it does say. Oh, okay. let's just ruin the surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, so right. it looks like. Um, it's going to be the, the heart's way, which is the story, um, you know, oh, yeah. yeah, I think everybody knows which one that is with, you know, kind of a discussion of, um, Cutter and Skywise's relationship, um, through the eyes of the Sun Villagers shortly after they arrived in, in Sorrow's End, the Wolf Riders. And, you know, this is the one where we meet Verda, um, and she wants to recognize Skywise and all that. So, uh, it's oh, going to be that we, one. We all know what that issue was really about. Elf nipples. 
<laughs> yes. And sort of I probably the first time in print in the story that there was acknowledgement that I'll just I'll put it the way Wendy and Richard did that male wolves mount each other for sport. Um, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so the Hearts Way, I, 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 an amazing story. Um, the next one is going to be the Little Patch story. So um, that's Hidden Years number three, um, Rogue's Curse, which I believe is going to be the fully painted um, story that Wendy did for oh, the um, for, uh, yeah for the Frazetta magazine that was out back in I want to say the late nineties, maybe the early two thousands. Um, yeah, uh, and so that's pretty amazing. And then Wolfwood, which is the other story that she did. Um, about the uh, sort of the the wolf dog that you know kills the baby right. and gets you know sent out and well the wolf fighters basically rescue him. So both of those, which I think are oh wait I take it back the jury is 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 that story. Um, both of those I think are re- also really high points. I mean just gorgeous painting, one shot contained stories, which I actually think is kind of perfect choices for the art of the story because you kind of, you could get the story arc from start to finish versus like a serial, you know, series where it's multiple issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Wolfwood of course is in there as well. Wolfwood is the story of Strongbow and Little Pat or, and um, Lashpaw um, from hidden years. Number one. Yeah. So anyway, that's coming out um, again for the Kickstarter backers. That's going to be shipped to us in just a few weeks um, in early May. And, um, and then, so in addition to the, you know, these Flesk books coming out, um, the there's also the next Final Quest collection, uh, uh, Final Quest Volume Two, which is the um, issues I get, I guess what um, seven through twelve of the Final 12, Quest. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, basically book two in the Final Quest graphic novel series, which is, again, also kind of an awesome idea. And um, that is actually out on the shelves now. Um, I haven't, I pre-ordered mine and it hasn't been shipped yet, but, um, but you know, we're seeing folks post on social media that they have actually picked up the book at their, at their comics shop. So um, if you haven't gotten it, you know, again, you can order it directly from, um, from TFAW. Or I think you could probably get it on Amazon as well, or you know, just go into your local comic shop and ask for it. Exactly. And then lastly, the Complete Elf Quest Volume Three. So this is the collection of basically the archive, the backstory of Elf Quest. We've gotten two volumes so far. First one collected the entire original quest. The second volume collected the Siege of Blue Mountain and Kings of the Broken Wheel storylines. That's the one that got um, made it onto the New York Times bestsellers list, which is kind of amazing. Um, yeah, and then this third book um, is, um, again, I'm looking at TIFA's website right now, is going to be available on November 2nd um, of this year. So that is... Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so we have a little bit of time. Ways to off. Yeah, but still, yeah. I mean, you can pre-order it and... Um, and it, on the website so far, it says it collects ElfQuest Dreamtime and ElfQuest Hidden Years. And Richard posted, I think, on Facebook that um, they're going to break with the, you know, sort of the, the 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 model, I guess, for these these omnibus big collections, which typically are in black and white, um, and have this one be in color, at least the Hidden Years ones, because I think I think we'd all agree that. <laughs> Those first five issues of Hidden Years are really standout color, you know, sort of pinnacle uh, of of some of Wendy's work. So getting to see them in color in this collection is going to be awesome. Yeah, it would be a shame to have the collection and have those five issues of Hidden Years in black and white because, like you said, the color 
um, in those issues is spectacular. So yeah, and something that yeah, yeah. Hmm? and unlike um, other yeah sort of colored editions of ElfQuest, um, you know, I mean, those stories were done in color originally, and I think it's you know like the 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 prior three story arcs, original Quest, Siege of Blue Mountain, and Kings of the Broken Wheel, were all done to be presented in black and white. And then colored after the fact. So they translate really well into, again, a black and white omnibus graphic novel. Whereas, you know, as we learned when Warp Graphics published the readers' collections and they started collecting some of the sort of the the the, the 90s era elf quests that was originally published to be colored, it, it looked a little bit muddy. And I think um I think mm-hmm. the decision to present these five stories in full color is is super smart on the part of Wendy and Richard and uh, and Dark Horse because I think it's it's just gonna I mean that's how it needs to be seen. Absolutely, it does need to be seen that way. Right. Um, so before we uh, get started on reviewing this issue, this latest issue fourteen, uh, I have a question. Okay. Um, so how are we going to get Mark Hamill on the show? <laughs> All right. So so you have Hollywood connections. Totally. Right? Yeah. So if 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 folks did not see the <laughs> Facebook conversation that happened, uh, you know, this morning for us, by the time you hear it, it'll be a little bit, you know, it'll be a little bit dated. But um, there was a picture that was published um, on the official ElfQuest Facebook page of Mark Hamill wearing a Red Sonja T-shirt drawn by Frank Thorne. And apparently it's sort of, you know, Wendy Peeney as Red Sonja. And Mark Hamill is wearing this T-shirt back in, looks like the late 70s. Um, and so um, it sort of sparked a discussion about Mark Hamill because he's sort of gone on the record. I, I, I want to say in, in the 90s era ElfQuest, there was actually a picture of Wendy with Mark Hamill um, and him saying that, you know, he wants to, if there's ever an ElfQuest movie, he wants to voice Picknose. So he's aware of ElfQuest. Um, and so somebody was like, hey, when are we going to get him on the show? Actually, it was you, Ryan, wasn't it? I think it was me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I laughed, but then I thought, you know, because I, I work in, you know, in entertainment media and um, I have an, an IMDb Pro account, which gives you access to, um, you know, to basically celebrities, uh, agents and their publicists, you know, the kind of people that you would reach out to if you wanted to try to engage them in something. So who knows? Maybe I, I guess it can't hurt, right? <laughs> we need to make this happen. All right. So that's my homework. I need to talk to Luke Skywalker. Come on, David, do this. Uh, that's that's my homework. I will I will look that up and then you and I maybe can chat and uh, put together a little pitch and, you know, send it out and see what happens. All right. <laughs> In fact, we should probably send pictures, um, those those pictures just to remind or to let the publicists know that we're not just, you know, really, really, <laughs> okay. you know, crazy fans that are just trying to stop it like... that it's, it's a real deal yeah. speaking of which um i'm actually you know speaking of, of of the idea that the fact that we host this podcast is actually the real deal um you know because we're fans and we're doing this as a labor of love and all that but um but i have to say hosting a podcast is a legit deal and my the example that i have to illustrate that is that for uh san diego comic-con this year, I actually submitted as press and I was able to do that because they now have a category for podcasters. 
So if you are, are a you podcaster, kidding? yeah, if you are a podcaster and you can demonstrate to the spec, you know, the specifications laid out by Comic Con, um, which is basically like you have to give them um, at least three examples of you know, sort of live podcasts that you have hosted within, I think, like a six-month time period before the application was due. Um, and that you have to have at least like a certain number of them out there. I forget the exact thing, but um, but I submitted and I got I got I got in as press. So that's amazing. Yeah, that is so, so cool. This fun little podcast. Okay, I've got to start banking on my podcast uh, hosting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean seriously, yeah. it, 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 it's I mean it's a legit thing that we're doing. So. Maybe we will get Mark Hamill. VIP treatment. <laughs> um, all right. So any other, you know, sort of news that you want to chat about before we dive into the issue? No, nope, not that I can think of. I think we covered it all. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm um, ready. All right. So issue 14 of the final quest. Mm-hmm. Where do you even begin? <laughs> uh, well, I, I know where I want to begin. All right. I think- well, start with the scary ones yeah i think so too fungus among us the fungus among us exactly yeah um what do you think what do you think is going on uh well they're terrifying and i stand by my earlier comments that they're (laughs) incredibly creepy and i think they're kind of sinister and dangerous uh it looks to me like they want to consume cutter i don't know if that's malevolent though it might just be their by nature they are um that's just how they operate but they do specifically say they they're talking about his blood at one point right the, right what do they say this the red wet or the, the yeah so let's see i have it open here they say you know one of them you know one of the, their mind because they sort of seem to be like kind of like a hive mind but you know, they yeah. all kind of think at the same time and they're like so deeply psychically connected that they don't talk, they only send. And so, but they still seem to have individual personalities to go along with those individual bodies. Um, but it says, mm-hmm. one of them says the good red wet lies dried upon the shape. So basically like dried blood. Um, and then the other one, the female one who seems to be, you know, kind of a, a standout, maybe even a leader um, says the dried red wet we can have, but not yet all. Not yet all of the forelimb shaped um, because it, it is not all still. We wait. So that to me sounds like they're waiting for him to fully be dead and then playing the role that they seem to play of sort of decomposers, kind of like fungus. Um, they're going to then totally consume the rest of his body. Exactly. So that to me is uh, incredibly disturbing. <laughs> uh, I mean, essentially, they're cannibals then. Yeah, but you know, if they're if they're full fully elf, right? right. Uh, then and they're going to consume another elf, right? Well, so, so uh, that, that's a question in and of itself. Like, exactly what are they? But hold that thought for a second. Let's assume okay. that they are, uh, you know, flesh and blood, you know, elves that have evolved or shape changed themselves into this form or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I I think it's very clear that whoever they are. Um, Again, if they are full-blown elves, and I think they are because they did respond to the call of the palace, right? They seem to be living yeah. living beings and not sort of disembodied spirits or something like that. But at any rate, um, it, it, it seems really clear to me that they are so deep and have moved so far away from 
you know, the idea, like just sort of living as, you know, as a four limbed mammal, essentially, right. They've, they've sort of adopted a, their, 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 their way of life on a completely different type of life form, you know, again, sort of this sort mm-hmm. of mold and fungus and, and all of that. And, and, and even to the point of their thinking. And so they probably don't even really perceive themselves as elves. And so when they see Cutter, you know, it's not like they're like, Oh yeah, there's 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 one of our kind. They just see like a mammal, you know, the the four limb shape with, you know, with, you know, blood and that hunts, and they seem to to look down on that too. I mean, there's a comment in there about that. Um, you know, it's something. Well, they talk about the pesty, the pesty four limb shape, and yeah, that 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 eats yeah, and... fresh kill and cannot change. That will not change. Will not learn how. Whatever that means, but. It seems to me that they, they they that they look down on on actual killing that they wait for something to die before they are going to dive in and consume it. And again, that's consistent with sort of the decomposer role that they seem to play. Mm. Yeah, they're scavengers. Yes, yeah. is what they are. Yeah. Um, so you said something about them being like living beings as opposed to uh, disembodied spirits, but I'm not a hundred percent sure about that because I'm thinking that there is the possibility that they could be spirits elf spirits that have somehow either been absorbed into the the living natural world around them or have chosen to sort of um animate uh forms for themselves out of the natural world uh and and they've sort of shaped the the natural world into bodies that they can use now Uh, yeah I, because I don't think that being a disembodied spirit would uh, prevent you from feeling or sensing the call of the palace. Right, and and I I think that makes there's a logic there, and and you know uh, other folks have have sort of posited that idea too, um, and I, I, which I actually think is a really fascinating idea. It would be something totally different for ElfQuest that you know that there are these spirits that um, maybe weren't ready to change to spirit form and have figured out a way to sort of take the other life matter on the planet and shape it into um, kind of a body for themselves. But there's a couple things to me that would indicate that that maybe isn't the, the, the way that it's going. A, they well, don't yeah, seem to I'm like just... being in that body form, right? They seem to like being in the form, you know, the physical form of, you know, again, just sort of mold and fungus and stuff. Um, yeah. You know, they, they're, I mean, every time we've seen them, they've kind of, kind of grumbled about how, like, the call of the palace is sort of drawing them back to this, this sort of mammalian shape that they don't really want to be in. Um, and so, you know, again, why? I, I don't know. Maybe they are disembodied spirits that just don't like that that form. That well, they... I mean, even just saying that, though, I'm thinking that's probably not possible because elf spirits are naturally drawn to the palace it's almost irresistible right so how would they sort of prevent that from happening how would they fight that pull right. i don't know if they could um right the and other if they thing were... I was thinking is, yeah go ahead. go ahead well the other thing i was thinking was they might not be um like pure blood elves they might be the spirits of wolf riders and it would be possible maybe for because wolf rider spirits can go wherever they want. Um, maybe right. they're the spirits of wolf riders who have somehow figured out some way to do this. But just looking at them, though, in, in their elf 
of fungus form. Um, they don't particularly look like wolf riders. They look closer to pureblood elf high one type forms. Like they're yeah, they're, they're kind of like they're taller, tall and more type, yeah. The only one, the only one though that makes me question that is there's that one dude with the um, he's got a bit of a goatee beard thing hanging that that's happening, but right. that could just be uh like some aesthetic choice uh as opposed to sort of transforming what naturally would be hair growing on his face into the fungus right um, yeah but we've never yeah. we've never seen a high one i mean high ones don't grow face fur right yeah, but they also don't grow like knobbly, you know, bark-like skin, and you know, all the other crazy yeah, things that they have growing on true. them. Either. So, I think that that's, no, that's that's true. But then I also think, well, then why why would it a pure blood elf choose to sort of mimic hair on their face? Well, because it is mimicking that, right? Yeah. Well, because I, I mean, I I would say to that that if that is what's going on, and it's sort of a a a. a you know, an aesthetic choice on the part of that individual to appear in that shape at, at, at the very base of the elf shape at all. It, 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 all it is, is a mimic of the human form, um, sort of, you know, with the, the crafted in a way to look as beautiful as possible to humans. So while the high ones didn't choose to give themselves beards when they originally shaped themselves, there's no reason why, um, whoever these elves are, you know, who, if they if they are indeed shape changers and change themselves into the shape that they wouldn't mimic a beard on a human, you know, I mean, like a human would have. Yeah, but why would these why would these particular elves or this this tribe want to mimic humans if they're trying to hide from humans? Well, again, I I I think the idea being in a very broad brushstroke that the elf shape is is a mimic of humans, and so. Not that they would actually deliberately be looking at humans and saying, I want to look like that. But if that's like the model that they have to go on, because that's what they have seen for them when they're shaping themselves into this particular shape, you know, and they're giving themselves all these, you know, uh, plant like and, you know, forest mold like appendages and decorative things, you know, why not? And I, you know, it, I, what I actually suspect is that it was just a design choice on Wendy's part because she thought it looked cool. Yeah, well, <laughs> leave it leave it to us to go in depth and analyze that. Yeah, right? no, well, I mean, hey, that's <laughs> that, 10, 15 minutes. Right, that's that's what that's what this podcast is for overanalyzing. Exactly. Um, but wait, a couple of things though, I want to go back to. Um, yeah. I should have written them down because I'm. Oh, we were talking about you know whether or not they're disembodied spirits that have figured out a way to create new bodies for themselves, and you were talking about you know kind of the impact of the palace. So a couple of things. One, we we've learned in final quest that you know the we got a little bit more specificity than we've ever gotten before about what it means for a pure-blooded elf spirit to be drawn to the palace and basically we learn that the the sort of the aura of the palace kind of extends beyond the world of two moons as far out maybe as the moons so that the spirits of the elves that are bound to it you know they're not bound to be physically well i guess they can't be physical at all but you know what i mean like they're not bound to the four walls yeah. of the palace you know, Kavi can go zip around the planet anywhere she wants, which is why Winnow will, you know, why they're afraid of Winnow Will's ability. You know, like she's not just going to get trapped in the palace. She could wander all around the world of moons, two moons too, if Rayek didn't have her prisoner. So, so if, if these guys really are spirits and I don't think they would have to be Wolf Rider spirits, 
to not be, you know, to be able to do what you're suggesting, right? You follow me? Yes, I'm following. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but, but if that's the case, then they, if they were dead, they would already know and be drawn to the palace. Mm-hmm. And so when Sunstream sends out the call, it wouldn't be the surprise that it seems to be to them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which that to me it would tells have already me, right. felt that pull. Right. That that again to me tells me that that they are, you know, f- sort of physical creatures. Um and then the biggest thing that tells me that is that they need to eat. Yeah, you're right. Right? Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess if they were if they were dead elves reanimating themselves using matter found on the world of two moons that that matter would still need to eat but i don't know i my, my thought is that they are a living breathing tribe of elves that uh, you know again either are master shape changers um or um you know went down a different evolutionary path i mean you know the wave dancers i think are a good example of that where they you know they fled to the ocean fairly early on it seems and their evolution probably coupled with some shape changing has given them really like a different form and even down to their like their gestation is longer than the other elves so that to me indicates this sort of rapid um maybe magic-based evolution that the elves can do that doesn't really exist in the real world so you know maybe that's what's happening here maybe they're not uh well i don't know they do seem to be shape changers because if they can you know even just the way they move like their bodies sort of I think that's that's the most likely explanation, is that they are a tribe of extremely powerful shape-changers who have, in some sense, lost their elf identity in in their shape-changing, and they've become one not only with each other, but with the natural world. Right. In a very different way than in any other you know, any other elf that we've seen so far. Um, yeah, I mean, we think of the Wolf Riders as being the most in touch with the World of Two Moons because they have the Wolf Blood, right, which is which binds them, or you know, to the to the world itself in a way that the other pure-blood elves can never experience. Um, but these particular elves seem attached to the world in a similar but different very different way right. than the Wolf Riders. I don't think that they... I mean, we know that Wendy and Richard have said that Tamane, what Tamane did as far as giving birth to Tamorn and the wolf blood that the Wolf Riders have, that's a one-off. Right. That something like that will not be repeated. Um, but that doesn't mean that other tribes of elves haven't found other ways to really integrate with this planet that they're stranded on um and these this tribe seems to have found a way that really sets them apart from every other tribe and it's it almost seems i mean we have yet to see it but just from this little bit that we've seen that they seem even more integrated maybe than the wolf riders into the planet yeah yeah well you know what it makes me think of is that um the idea of the elves as the as the hidden ones seems to be taken to a real extreme with these guys. You know, I mean, every yeah. every group of elves that we've seen throughout the history of ElfQuest, there's always been this theme of 
of, of hiding, um, you know, and it's been explored in various ways. Like is hiding away like the gliders did, you know, a good thing in their case? No, because they stagnated, um, you know, the wolf riders hid away from the humans during the 500 years that they were waiting for the palace to return. And, um, you know, they also experience a little bit of stagnation there. But all of the else, you know, the wave dancers hide from the humans and they their culture um, has become so fearful and timid as a result. So, you know, these elves seem to have, like you said, taken a different tact and taken it way further um, and integrated themselves into the planet in a way that's just totally different than we've ever seen before, which is kind of awesome. Like the fact that Wendy and Richard are still coming up with totally you know frankly game-changing new ideas that kind of have ripple mm-hmm. effect even like when you look back at the history of elf quest is kind of you know at this point of the game 40 years on it's kind of amazing you know you mentioned sunstream earlier and it just made me think of um when he sent out the call did he sense this tribe because we saw them in that that full two-page spread um did he sense this tribe and if so then did he communicate to the wolf riders uh and the other the palace elves that there was this tribe out there i can't see him not having felt them on some level because we did see them yeah so yeah i mean my guess is that he knows he knows that they exist and that he can sort of sense their present on the planet but I don't mm-hmm. get the sense that um, that that ability to know where you know the living and the dead elves on the world of two moons are means that he like knows them. You know what I mean? Like I think he can like say like, oh yes, there I, I I'm picking up you know elves in this region. But I don't know that if like he's like tapping directly into their minds. And in fact, it does say somewhere um, in in a recent issue that. Um, I'm trying to remember which scene it was, but it, there is some reference made to the fact that luckily, um, you know, Sunstream can kind of sense the elves, but he's not like connected to their their thoughts and emotions. Do you remember that scene that I'm talking about? Uh, yes, it, I do. Yeah, I can't remember the exact one it was, but it might. I think it was. No. Re- it was either in reference to Cutter's, you know, you know, meltdown, or it might have been something to do with the Wave Dancers, where he was like aware that they were being attacked or that the human showed up, but like he wasn't channeling their like fear and anxiety, something I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have to go back and look it up, but at any rate, yeah, I, I vaguely remember. That. Right. Yeah. So, so if that's the case, then I would, I would guess that, yeah, he knows that they're there, uh, but he doesn't really know anything about them. No, is no, what I would guess. But, okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So he could have said, yeah, I, I sense this, other elves there are other elves somewhere around here but they don't really know much about them right he wouldn't know much exactly and um and you know i mean we don't see everything on camera so maybe he mentioned it to to Tamane or to sava in passing like oh yeah there is this group up there but um and plus the whole idea was that they all the elves had to make their own way to the palace right right? they had to choose to, to yeah you know Instead of just being, I so I, I suppose he could say, okay, yeah, I sense elves somewhere or near the Holt, um, and then they they would wait to see if they would come. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, there's a few other things to dive in with these guys. So number the, the first thing is there's this question of whether or not that main female is pregnant. She does seem to yeah. have a, you know, a swollen belly in that looks very similar to what a, you know, what a, 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 a pregnancy would look like. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously, I don't think any of us know, right? There's, there's been no sort of indication other than that, um, you know, other than that, there's been no reference made to it. However, you know, when I saw that, even when they were originally shown in that first panel, when the call went out, um, I sort of visually interpreted that as just sort of kind of like a, a bulging tree bowl, you know, like, yeah, you know, sort of the trunk of a tree that is sort of bulging out, which happens mm-hmm. um, and just as part of her camouflage. But I don't know. I mean, it does look like a pregnant belly the more I look at it, especially it in that panel where she's sort of emerging back into an elfin shape. And she says, you know, the shape, the pesty forelimb shape. I mean, it looks like she's pregnant. It does. Uh, it's hard to say, though, at this point, because like you said, it could also just be a bowl. Uh, and it's part of her camouflage. Right. Um, it could go either way. Yeah. Uh, at this point, we have no idea. Um, so it's just conjecture, really, at this point. Uh, you know, it, it would be interesting if she was, because then that would sort of open up more possibilities t- as to what exactly they are and, and sort of um, dovetail with, you know, what you're saying about them being actual physical beings. They're not disembodied spirits reanimating or animating uh, fungus um, and shaping forms for themselves. They're actual living elves right. who are shape changers of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. But so, we'll have to wait and see on that because, I mean, at this point, we really have no idea. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say, too. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's interesting. And, um, you know, going back to the idea of them uh, sort of, again, being this hive mind and not really yeah. c- being cognizant of themselves as elves. That I think is as individuals, right. yeah, and as elves, right? Um, that I think is important. Um, if if that is what's going on, is to you know, it, the, the, it, it certainly is is plausible. I mean, these are the, the elves have been on this planet for twenty thousand plus years, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, who knows when these these this group, you know, chose to be become what they are. But I mean, I think it's hard for us to wrap our minds around those big expanses of time because we only live for you know a few decades but you know i mean you spend even a thousand years in a different form and sure like why would you know like i think it makes it's totally plausible that they might completely forget their old identity you know and 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 my guess is like you were saying they do seem to be sort of of a taller willowy kind of shape so what I would suspect is that they, again, they're old, maybe, you know, sort of first generation or early generation um, elves on the world of two moons after the, the high ones came. And um, and it's been the better part of 15 or 20,000 years. So it makes total sense to me that they would just be completely not thinking of themselves as elves or recognizing Cutter as a, you know, as a, as kin. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking too of fungus, and I know you would know about this, but there's... I think the largest organism on Earth is a fungus somewhere in in the states, actually. Yeah, I think it's in um, Oregon. And yeah, and uh, there's there's different um, nodes of this fungus, and it lives underground, mm-hmm. and it it stretches for miles and miles. It's enormous, right. and it communicates amongst itself using chemical communication. Exactly. Yep. 
um, there's there's different modes. So it's although there are different, um, like they're not completely separate. Like they they connect via uh, like tendrils and things uh-huh. like yeah. beneath the, the earth. But um, you can kind of look at it as there are different pockets of where it is, but they're all connected into one superorganism. Exactly. And so that is sort of um, is what I'm thinking of with this tribe here is that they're sort of mimicking the way that a fungus like that would work as far as how it communicates amongst itself. So it has individual areas where it's, it is almost appearing as though it's separate, but it acts as a superorganism and it communicates within itself. And so this is interesting for me to think about, you know, how these elves here are operating as sort of a hive mind where they appear to be individuals but they operate as a is as a super organism yeah no i think you're you're exactly right um about the the fungus here on on earth um and the fact that that wendy shared that with us when we were all calling them the tree elves and she's like nope they're not tree elves they're not ants you know they're not dryads, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're something totally different. And she was mm-hmm. like, let's call them the fungus among us, which of course was mm-hmm. just sort of a silly joke name. But, um, yeah. but I think obviously her sharing that was, was a sign that, you know, she and Richard are modeling these elves off of exactly what you just described about these real world fungus that, you know, are, are separate, but, but, but also part of a bigger whole and they definitely communicate with each other. Um, and you know, it's not just fungus, by the way, that do that. There are, um, there, there's, you know, the trees do that too. I mean, there's, there's mm-hmm. science that shows that, you know, trees are communicating with each other, um, you know, uh, underground via their root systems and things like that. In fact, there's, um, I believe it's a quaking aspen that is sort of a colony former. Um, and it's very similar to everything you just described with the, um, with the fungus where it's, you know, it's sort of individual trees, but their root systems are all connected and they kind of mm-hmm. form this big super organism and they do communicate with each other. And, and that actually leads me to another thing that I wanted to talk about with the, the, the scary ones. And that is Redlands. So, you know, Redlands mm-hmm. is part of, you know, Cutter's heart circle and they're on, on the mission for him. And he says, you know, he's, he's tracking Cutter and he's using both his wolf rider skills, probably his sense of smell and just his, his natural propensity for being a good tracker, looking for, you know, broken twigs and, and, and whatever, right. Um, scenting filters, set marks along the way, which he mentions, but he also says, I feel the forest's warning and, you know, we don't have much time. And then he, you know, he leads the, 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 the questing group there on, you know, at, at top speed, they're like running away on the, on Wolfback and, and no hump back. Right. So yeah. my guess is that Redlands, because again, his magic and his tree shaping and all that, he's able to sort of be privy to that, you know, sort of the language of the forest. Right. And yeah. that yeah. through those, those same, um, you know, kind of communication vehicles and connections that the plants and the fungi and everything has that he's getting, you know, he's sensing the, 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 the scary ones sort of, approaching their potential you know victim um and leading them mm-hmm. on so i so so there's that and and i don't know if you're getting the same thing out of that but the um, i i am i think red lance is going to play a very important part in um the encounter between 
this this tribe, the scary ones, and the wolf riders, and, that's and I guess it, by yeah, by extent the all the other elves, right? I think he might be sort of the um, the emissary or maybe the communicator that right. sort of you know is able to communicate with them. Yeah, and that's what that was where I was going with all this is you know what do you think like what's going to happen with Redlands and and you know I actually I'll be honest I didn't really think much about it other than oh yeah you know he's got a connection to plants so maybe he'll you know he'll be kind of drawn to them but there's been some interesting discussion on on Facebook about you know some folks are actually afraid for Redlands like what will happen to him when he encounters the, the scary ones. And, and, you know, and I think that's kind of interesting to explore because it's not where my mind naturally went, but like, you know, what if he, what if they see him as a threat because they do seem so private and, you know, maybe he is able to communicate with them in a way that really does remind them in a much more visceral way that they actually are elves. Mm. And what would their reaction be then? Or, you know, or what if I've seen other people theorize that, what if he's going to meet this tribe and want to become like them and, mm, yeah. and take his connection to the, the, the forest like way further than what he's able to do kind of in his wolf rider form. And then what would that mean for nightfall and his relation? You know, what if, what if Redlands is going to do the opposite of moonshade, you know, moonshade wants to go back to the palace and kind of become a high one. And maybe Redlands is going to see a way of staying in the world of two moons, but taking it, you know, six degrees further than he's able to do in his wow. current form. So I don't know. I mean, all of this stuff, this wow. is, this is actually one of the benefits of the fact that we're getting this episode out late because there has yeah. been all of this great discussion and chatter and it's brought up mm. some ideas that I, I didn't even think about. Um, so I don't know. What do you think about all that? Well, it's possible. I mean, now that you say that, that we were discussing that there, they could be just extremely advanced shape changers, but what if they're extremely advanced plant shapers and, um, that's combined with self-shaping in right. some way and you know these this is this is sort of the they represent the pinnacle of what plant shaping can be mm-hmm. and so if red lance encountered them then it's quite possible that given his exploration of his powers and how they've grown over time that maybe he would want to push his powers to that point and become part of them this collective well, uh, it's that's a really interesting theory. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I when I yeah. read that, I was like, huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what could happen? And we also know, I mean, although I don't like the idea of Redlands be- <laughs> drinking the blood of other elves. No. <laughs> you know, it, it still disturbs me, and, and um, I find it sinister on some level that the that this is how they work, even though it might just be, and I think it is, just they're they're part of the natural world and so they're they're consuming um the dead right uh, essentially well, well, so scavengers but even so I, I don't like the idea of redlands doing that i mean they're like zombie vampire elves really <laughs> yeah. so, so so yeah and, and here's where like I, I i totally get that i think i think the reaction you're having is is the reaction that wendy and richard intend they want us to be sort of kind of grossed out by these things and scared of them a little bit and and i and i and i feel all of that but i have to say i still love them i think that they have their own 
their own sort of crusty, you know, moldy kind of beauty to them. And maybe that's just because I'm like a crazy nature geek and I just love all this stuff. But like, I still find them beautiful and I still find them compelling. Um, and, and I see, you know, the, the, like, like you just said, like they're like, even though they're not like their function is rot. I don't see that necessarily as a negative thing. Like to me, that's still part of the circle of life. Right. And if we didn't have yeah. these decomposers as gross as they are to us, because we're so, you know, sort of biologically different than they are, you know, I, they're, they're, as gross and as creepy and as scary as they are, all of which I get, there's still like, there's still that sort of like elven beauty to them. And, and, and they're still playing like a, a function in this sort of cycle of life that really is part of the way. And so, um, and, 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 and I wonder what Wendy and Richard's reaction to, to, you know, fans reacting kind of like what I just described are, if they are trying mm-hmm. to establish them as sort of, you know, kind of scary, sinister. Um, because if, if, I, I just think it's interesting because if they, they might have intended that, you know, sort of consciously to make them, you know, sinister, but also kind of compelling at the same time, or it could yeah. be that, you know, Wendy's art is just so like the line of beauty is just so infused into it that, that it's, it's, it's present there regardless of, of every other kind of scary element that you can put onto it. I mean, even Tildak is beautiful in a way. Um, yeah. You know, and even, even, well, this one's stretching it, but the broken one, he was kind of gross. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I just, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of. I, well, maybe Two Edge. I mean, look at Two Edge. He's even though um, it, it, he still has symmetry to him, right? Totally, yeah. Symmetry I mean, is what we respond to as as beautiful. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. I find these this tribe fascinating, and I'm also compelled by them. It's not so much, I think, for me that um, I'm disturbed by the fact that they they you know operate as fungus and they're consuming the dead and it's rot etc like you mentioned but it's what unsettles me is that they are so removed from their elfin identity that they are waiting for another elf to die so that they can consume it i think for me that's what i find unsettling if it was let's say a dead deer in the woods right. that they were waiting to consume i that wouldn't bother me at all i mean the wolf riders eat raw meat and i'm not upset by that it's the fact that it's another elf that they're going to consume yeah. that they're discussing consuming that's what unsettles me yeah. and also there's sort of this interplay and it's um the contrast between i agree with you there is a line of beauty in these um these elves but these beings whatever they they are elves uh but there's um the line of beauty but it it's uh contrasted with this grotesque form and so there's um this sort of uh friction between those two things mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is unsettling like i'm not sure how i feel about them because of that on the one hand i do see that line of beauty but on the other hand it's they're grotesque i find them grotesque to some extent so that the friction between those two um uh, those two things uh, i i find unsettling yeah and I, yeah i think that's that's totally legit um i just thought of something else about redlands and and yeah. what your your theory or your idea that you know 
that maybe these are, are elves that have taken this, uh, their magical abilities of shape changing and plant shaping and combine them. Um, I'm thinking back to, you know, Winnowill's uh, words to Lita way back in the original quest where she says, you know, healing, yeah. flesh shaping, it's all one, you know? Yeah. And I feel like the, 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 the high ones, the first comers, they all, they had, they had sort of multiple abilities. Right. And of course, some of them focused in one area or another, but you know, like they could all, they were all floaters. And I think on some level they were all shape change. Well, they, they obviously were all shape changers, which means that they probably all had, you know, healing ability and they had, you know, telekinesis and and all of that. And so it it wouldn't really be that far fetched for this group of elves. If they are indeed an ancient group of elves to, you know, have, it wouldn't be like two separate powers. It would just be a manifestation of their power, their innate shape changing power um, of themselves. And then the, the, the world around them, you know, to incorporate plant material. Exactly. So I, yeah, I just think yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty much established that all of the high ones, um, when they, when they first arrived, they all shared the same powers and it was all one just like you're saying uh that winnow said that it's all one um it's all essentially just manipulation of the natural world the matter around um, matter yeah Yeah. it's it's matter manipulation but as as um the elves uh evolved or and adapted to the world of two moons those powers became sort of uh segmented and an elf would only have um, the ability to uh, manifest that power in one direction. Right. Uh, but now with the palace being back to full power, it seems like the potential for an elf to sort of uh, access all of those abilities um, is growing stronger. I mean, look at Lita, for instance. She has clearly uh, moved towards being a, a, a flesh shaper. Right. Um, and I mean, we've discussed this before. Healing is is obviously it is flesh shaping, but you can take it to an extreme to where you're able to shape Sunstream into a, a right. wave dancer form, a lionfish form, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, she she was never capable of doing that before. She was a healer, but now um, her, her powers have become so strong, and I. I think that's due to the influence of the palace that she's now able to uh, shape flesh into whatever she wants beyond just healing wounds. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, so, I, yeah. I, I think that obviously her, her powers are augmented by the palace, but although I wouldn't, I, I think her, her quote unquote inability to do that earlier was much more about um, self-imposed limitation unconscious self-imposed limitation. And I think that's what Winnow Will's comment to her was all about is like, well, and, and actually even goes to, to Moonshade who I was going to bring up next. Cause I think there's a perfect segue into talking about the influence of the palace and the ability to, you know, manifest the, the high ones original suite of powers with Moonshade on the cover of the next issue where she's much taller and she's got like that mega hair going on. But, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I think with Lita, the idea was that, you know, because of the limitations of the world of two moons and just sort of them, the elves losing touch with their, their magical heritage, right. That, that Lita could probably always do that, but it never occurred to her because she didn't really perceive of her magic in as big of a way as, as she could have. And Winnowill kind of opened her eyes a little bit 
I mean, because we did see her mm-hmm. grow Cutter's hair at the end of the um, Siege of Blue Mountain. And that was before there was any, you know, influence of the palace in a big way. And so I think she probably could have always done it. Mm-hmm. And maybe she couldn't have done something as extreme as Sunstream. And even today, yeah. it's, she needed um, uh, Skinback and um, uh, Snakeskin's help to do it. You know? Yeah. So, but... Um, but yeah, so yeah. I think I, I think um, the, the the palace obviously is having a huge influence there, and um, and since I brought up Moonshade, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that that cover for issue fifteen. <laughs> uh, well, I the only thought I have is, um, wow, that's going to be a lot of hairspray. <laughs> uh, but, no, I'm not. I'm not certain if that's uh, a new form for Moonshade that she's chosen, a high one form, or if that's maybe um, some sort of vision that Strongbow's having. Right. Where he... You know how um, when Dushine and Tildak recognized and right. they saw each other's true forms? Yep. So I'm wondering if maybe it's along the same lines where Strongbow encounters Moonshade again after this period that they've had apart and she's been so integrated into the palace that when he... He meets her again. He sees her true form, which is this high one shape. Although I'm starting to think that it's quite possible that she is shape changed and she's chosen to become, you know, the the stature of a high one. Well, I mean, I think that um, you know, we 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 already know that the 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 living in the palace is having a profound impact on the elves that are there, the pure blooded elves that are there anyway. And that, that includes, um, Skywise, you know, who was a, was born a wolf rider, but gave up his wolf blood. And, you know, earlier, you know, there was that conversation about the fact that Lita is basically helping Skywise and herself to not physically change like all the other pure blooded elves. And so it might, you know, it seems to me that it's not really something that, you know, that the elves are controlling themselves, um, that it's just a product of being immersed in the, 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 the magic of the palace the magic. and yeah. it's wanting to return, you know, these beings that, it, you know, in some way kind of gave birth to, um, into mm-hmm. their sort of original form before they were impacted by this, you know, this alien world, this world of two moons. So, um, and obviously we won't know until we get the next issue, but <laughs> Yeah. Um, hmm. So, okay, I, we're kind of hopping all around here, but I want to go back to <laughs> the 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 scary ones, and we were talking about okay. yeah their sort of role as decomposers and and what that means, and yes, it's definitely creepy and sinister because I think all of us who are corporeal beings, you know, the idea that our bodies are going to just sort of be fed upon and you know sort of liquefied. It's kind of a, a, a spine-chilling notion, and it clearly is for wolf riders too, in a different way than maybe getting eaten by bears, right? And this goes back to the whole idea of, you know, your meat to be wasted. You know, early on in in the original quest, we learned, you know, that this idea of wasting something is, you know, is just sort of anathema. They don't like that idea, and we see that repeated here as Cutter is sort of in his, in his days is kind of, you know, I mean, it's this page, this awesome page where we see the wolf skeleton and we see the elf skull. Um, and it says all dead things end up the same feeding the green growing place that they fed upon 
A wolf rider hopes even his empty husk will be of use somehow. But when skin, blood, and bone fall on bare rock and nourish nothing, of that there is fear, a sickening fear. And so it's, and then on the next page, and you know, it goes on and says a few more things, and it says, in that stillness where no more choice exists, it's terrible to know that only decay and rot have the final say. So that whole, you know, sort of soliloquy there, it, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it, it's putting things in perspective for me because it's like, you know, for, for Cutter's wolf rider mindset, you know, again, like he'd almost, he, he was fine at the wolves ate him, right? He was like, I, I'm yeah. done with this skin life, just eat me. And he was cool with that. But he's now kind of wandering and he's musing on this idea that, you know, like I'm going to die and it's going to be all for a waste because nothing's going to eat me and I'm just going to rot away. And so even though, again, like I was saying, the, the rot is part of the natural process and, it, you know, even there's recognition of that here. You know, you're going to go back to feed the green growing place. In a wolf rider's mind, that's different. And that's scary that you would just sort of be melted away and, you know, rather than sort of chewed on and gobbled up. Um, and so I just think that's interesting. And it's really a great example of a character perceiving the world from their own worldview and point of view. Um, yeah. You know, and I also think, too, that for the reader, again, because we are physical beings, there is something a little bit more gross about the idea of being eaten by worms, right? Than it is by, you know, getting eaten by a lion. And I Uh, think that's what's being captured here. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, like imagine getting consumed by maggots and how that makes you feel. So so now I'm thinking about about my own death and what I'm going to be consumed by. Thanks. What a wonderful thought on a Sunday afternoon. The worms afternoon. crawl in, the worms crawl out. <laughs> um, no, I think you're right, though. I mean, with the what you mentioned about um, Cutter saying in the first quest, you know, your meat to be wasted, your, your blood will fall on bare rock and nourish nothing. Obviously, it's very important to the wolf riders that they're... Um, reintegrated into that that circle of life you know and right. i'm not gonna sing lion king song but <laughs> <laughs> i know everyone listening just heard that in their minds right now uh but uh, <laughs> so the idea that you're not going to be integrated back into that cycle is terrifying because they are so much a part of it um that's their fear it, their fear isn't of death their fear is no longer being part of this the cycle anymore right even uh, even I, though they still will be if they are consumed by the decomposers but that's i think that's yeah. just it and and you know what another thing that i didn't even think about a connection that you saying that just maybe had was you know when Rafael died there was this idea of like well let's toss her to the wolves you know that's what we do as wolf riders and and Redlands. <laughs> that sounds so <laughs> blasé. <laughs> well, that's how they do it, you know. Well, it's um, wolves. <laughs> um, yeah. Wolfpack gets a special treat tonight. <laughs> um, but but you know, even then, and maybe maybe that comment was even foreshadowing for this moment that it was Redlands that really was the only one that made the connection that you know, sort of decomposing is still putting yourself back into the system, right? To feed the wildflowers in that case. And so, and, and I think it's tree stump. That's like, well, oh, that's a weird idea, but whatever. Right. Like the wolf rider mind is so mammalian and so uh, hunter carnivore driven that that's in their mind, how you get yourself recycled and support the system. 
And it took a plant shaper to really say, well, there are other ways to do it too. And so again, that's, I mean, again, maybe that's foreshadowing for what is going to happen with Redlands. Maybe he's going to help both sides kind of understand that, that they're really kind of talking about the same thing when it comes to kind of integrating back into the, into the ecosystem, if you will. And, and if, and if that's the case, that's terrifying in and of itself because maybe Cutter's going to finally be okay with it and be like, okay, eat me, <laughs> you know? Wow. It's quite possible. I mean, when I'm thinking about Final Quest, I think I've mentioned this before, but it seems very much about not only change, diff- changes, but also death and, um, and birth as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, like these, these very, you know, uh, very human, um, stages and cycles that we all deal with and and you know constant change and how death is a part of that and so is is birth and um i <laughs> this always happens when we have these discussions like it'll trigger a thought and then i have to <laughs> i have to think about it for a second right um but i'm thinking about cutter's identity crisis that he's experiencing right now and how that's playing into this notion of death and his part in the cycle because that is having a profound effect on him knowing that he is actually part of this this other being who is immortal and so his entire notion of what the cycle is and his place in it and what his death is and his mortality and what that means to him has all been turned completely upside down and uh, Wendy's talked about this, uh, about the, this is back to Joseph Campbell, um, but the, the hero's journey and the journey through the cave, mm-hmm. the dark cave, right? And that's where Cutter is right now. And it's just a question of not only will he come out on the other side into the light, but if he does, uh, how he will do it and how that will change him. Who will he be when he comes out on the other side if he does? Yeah, and, and so so one of the most chilling things that the scary ones say is, you know, when, when the male one there, the sort of the male leader one is saying, like, you know, kind of criticizing, you know, this pesty forelimb shape that eats fresh kill and cannot change, that will not change, will not learn how. And then they say, but we will change it. And then they all echo, change it, change it, change it. You know, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, creepy. What does that mean? You know, like in terms of everything you were just saying about Cutter and his existential crisis, about not being an individual and his soul name, like how are they going to change it? Like what does that mean? Are they, you know, going back to the fungus theme, like are they like are they going to consume Cutter's body? And I, I don't know. I don't know what happens then, right? Like what does a spirit do? Will he get a new body? Like I don't know. It's – yeah, it's huge, big, fat question marks. Yeah, I mean, we've I've seen discussion about that. What happens when Cutter dies? Does his soul get reabsorbed into Tamane and become part of her spirit again? Because we know now that Tam is the male part of that spirit. Right. Um, and it was... Uh, integrated or absorbed into the physical body of Cutter at, uh, I guess, at the moment of recognition. Right. Um, or conception, conception or what yeah. have you. Yeah. Uh, 
Wow. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. Well, I think that's probably what I'm still thinking about worms eating my body. Right. What's Is that, that we that we none of us really know what's going on. But um <laughs> no. all right. So so um it's always been one. Yeah, right. So we, we, we can't go any further without talking about that wicked thing that Wendy and Richard did to us at the end of that, again, that sequiloquy of, of Cutter kind of thinking about, you know, decay and rot and dying. And then he, he basically, you know, he, his body just gives out and he falls out of the tree and crashes to the ground in a crumpled mess. And then we see Skyway say he's dead at the bottom right hand <laughs> of the page. And, I know I like not I, nice people that we're dealing with, yeah, folks. These no. are evil, mean people <laughs> <laughs> who yeah. delight in torturing us. Totally, and and so yeah, I they mean, enjoy it, right? I, of course, like probably most people. I mean, I read that, and and you know, like that instantaneous reaction was, oh fuck! <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you know, I gasped, my heart started racing. And then like, yes, after a couple seconds, then you're like, wait, no, that can't be. And then, and you know, then you turn the page and, and of course they're talking about filter and it all makes sense. And, you know, if, if you sat there and thought about it before you turned the page, you know, you probably could have guessed that it probably wasn't going to be cutter, but like the storytelling genius of that page and the 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 emotion that it got out of us out at you yeah. know again, just in that sort of spur of the moment second the minute you read it is is again genius and wicked yeah 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 <laughs> yeah awesome. i still haven't forgiven them i don't know what it's going to take at this point um yeah i'm <laughs> that was, i i think my yeah my heart ended up in my throat for sure uh i was for about five seconds before I turned the page, I was just staring at that, those words and that image with my jaw hanging open and oh my God. Yeah. Well, and it just, you know, why do they do this to us? It just underscored that. Yeah. That, um, I, I, I don't know if Cutter is going to survive this, you know, at least not without a radical change, you know, like Cutter might actually physically die. I don't think Cutter is going to be obliterated and that will be the end of it. But, you know, again, going back to the hero's journey, like you get transformed when you go through the cave, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's part of the point of it. Like you have this seemingly insurmountable challenge and you, you know, you go into the cave and you have to battle that and you have to fight it in some way and you don't come out unscathed. You're changed on the other side. So what is that change going to be? And the fact that, you know, physical death is on the table, I mean, that is why we were able to react that way, because there's no guarantee that Cutter is going to come out in any way like what we know him to be. So even though he might live and survive, I think there's a good a chance that there's going to be some radical change involved. Um, I completely agree. I, I'm not so certain anymore that he is going to physically die. And I was sort of preparing myself for that at the beginning. Right. To find- when I knew this was coming out because I had always expected that to play a part in the series at some point. Um, but now I'm not so sure. I think you're right that there, if there is, well, there is going to be some sort of radical change. And I'm not certain that it, it will be his death. Uh, I don't know what it's going to look like, but this whole aspect of him being a part of Tamain and their essentially one being and they share the same spirit um and how that will play out and how 
they will both come out of it. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not quite certain yet what, I mean, none of us are, but. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, guess, but, you know, yeah. uh, you, you could take a chunk of meat and you can, you know, run it through the meat grinder, in this case, like the scary ones, and it comes out on the other side and it's still meat, but, you know, a steak is a hell of a lot different than, than ground hamburger, right? So, sure. you know, like. Yeah what's going to be cutter when he goes, when he goes to finish is finished going through that meat grinder. I don't know. Exactly. Um, so, all right. On that weighty note, um, let's flip back to the beginning and, um, okay. Cause there's a ton of stuff in here that we, that we didn't get to. We kind of started, you know, we jumped right to the end, but, um, you know, yeah. going back to the beginning, you know, the, the last issue left with a cliffhanger of this wolf pack showing up and, you know, basically, <laughs> getting ready to attack and potentially devour Cutter and Filcher. And we get, you know, sort of a great peeny page here on page two, where you have sort of the progression of the wolves looking at Cutter and Filcher and then Cutter's waiting for them to like pounce. And they kind of just sit back and look quizzically and Cutter's one eye peeks open and it says, Mm -hmm. something's odd here. (laughs) It's just that, that great sort of actually both of these pages, pages two and three have that, classic peeny storytelling um page layout technique yeah where it's like it's it's really it's like the quintessential sequential art right it's like one panel to the next it's very cinematic so we've got that scene on that page and then on page three we've got after the wolves have decided that these two are like weird and strange and they want nothing to do with them and they take off about their business in, in the woods and Cutter and Filter kind of catch their breath and start walking away. We've got this great sequence of eight panels where Filter, poor old Filter, you know, probably due to the stress of that experience, kind of keels over and seems to faint. Mm. And there's yeah. like a, that question, you know, did he just die? And then he gets back up and, you know, Cutter's like, not yet. And they walk off into the woods. Um, yep. It's just beautiful yeah. and sad and like, if you're if you've ever had an elderly pet and you know you could totally relate to this i mean i've been there myself with with old dogs and it's like sometimes you're like oh my god it, it's gonna happen now and then they just get up and keep on trucking and yeah. you know it's one of the beauties of kind of the now wolf thought is that you know wolves and animals in general don't really feel sorry for themselves no. and it's kind of this beautiful thing like something as traumatic to us humans as, as aging and potentially, you know, your body giving up on you, you know, it affects us emotionally and mentally, but with animals, largely, they just kind of keep trucking until they can't truck on anymore. And yeah, in those latter stages, especially with dogs, I do think that sometimes when they can't get up and move, like they start to mentally kind of and emotionally check out, but it's just very different than what happens with people in many ways. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this opening few pages here, it uh, it certainly upset my expectations as to, and not in a bad way, of what I was expecting this issue to open with. Because um, I think a lot of us were sort of expecting there to be an attack of some sort. And yeah. maybe Filcher would be killed or Cutter would be severely injured. But <laughs> instead we get these wolves, like you said, quizzically looking at Cutter and not being able to figure out what the hell he is because they can sense the wolf blood and then they decide uh, I don't think this is going to taste very good so they just take <laughs> off it's it, actually quite funny totally um, and and also and true then, to life too I mean you know things that are off and odd in nature 
you know, wild animals are just as likely to kill that as they are to be like, I want nothing to do with this. And then they just leave. And so mm-hmm. you're, you're absolutely right. I think we were all expecting there to be a little bit more of a something dramatic, you know, in terms of violence here. And I really was mm-hmm. expecting that that would be the end of Filcher. Um, and it wasn't, yeah. which was kind of nice, no. a nice little surprise. Yeah. Um, and like you say, the, those eight panels there, the sequential sequence. Um, yeah, very, very classic uh, Wendy Peeney. Uh, I mean, this is a technique that she has employed throughout the series, and she's a master at it. Totally. Um, like you said, very cinematic and almost no dialogue, uh, which is another sort of um, technique that she uses in this style of of uh, panels um, often, uh, where it's just the images communicate to us what's what's going on, and it's so effective. Yeah, totally. Uh, so then from that point, we move on to... Well, actually, cover- before we move on, I have one last oh, thing to yeah, say yeah. about those panels sure. that I also really love. And that is, and I'm guessing this was Sunny, um, painting, yeah. painting the backdrop there, right? And so all you have is kind of the silhouette of leaves in the front and, and, and the shadows other than, you know, Wendy's illustration of Cutter and Filcher. And the coloring there is is just kind of awesome. You know, like... There, there are, there's no line work there. And sometimes when you create sort of a backdrop using just color and no lines, I do think that it sometimes, sometimes feels like the characters are just kind of floating and there's no sense of weight or depth, but not here. Like there's totally a sense of, of depth there with the way that Sunny yeah. colored that. And um, yeah. I just wanted to call it out because I thought it was really good. Like you really feel like they're in the deep, dark green wood. And they're walking oh, deeper into it as those panels progress. Definitely. Yeah, so, I agree with you. Props yeah. to you, Sonny. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, since we're talking yeah. about Filcher, yeah. he escapes. So why don't we just continue? Yeah, he escapes demise um, at the the, you know, the fangs of this other wolf pack. But, you know, as I think it was foreshadowed, he, um, you know, old thing that he is obviously did not survive this issue. And, um, you know, as Wendy and Richard have done throughout ElfQuest, I thought that they handled Filcher's death with, like, you know, just just the exact perfect way, um, you know, of the emotion and the sadness, but also, you know, just sort of a note of, of, of humor and, you know, that makes you – it's the same thing that you go through when you lose a pet of your own. You know, you're, you're heartbroken and you hate to see them struggling – and, you know, you just want to comfort them. And, you know, when they are gone, you know, you think back with sadness, but you also think back with joy. And I think the whole bit about Filcher stealing Cutter's boot one last time was just so beautifully captured that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, that's who Filcher was, right? right. That was established from the very beginning. That's, his, that's why he's named Filcher. That's right. Uh, <laughs> So to have that last moment there where he's pulling off Cutter's boot is not only extremely um, touching, it's, uh, well, yeah, it is. it's touching. Yeah. It's really touching. And and that's like his last sort of um, moment with Cutter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, there's a, there's a couple of panels here where we see Cutter in that sort of splash page um, and he's holding Filcher He's uh, sitting at the base of a tree, and, mm-hmm. and Filcher's—they're both resting again 
against it. That really reminded me of that the scene from um, from Wolfwood with Strongbow and Lashpaw. Mm-hmm. Um, after he I, bashes him on the head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so apart from that, uh, just just the uh, you know the the elf lying there with his with his wolf friend, um, and both of them were sick or injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it just sort of for me kind of call it was a bit of a callback to that. I don't know if that was intentional or not. I just wanted to point that out that yeah. I, it brought it brought to mind that scene with Strongbow and Lashbaugh. Yeah, for me, it actually brought to mind a really personal experience. Um, you know, and and maybe this is why I was just saying like it really you know rang true from what we go through in real life with with our with our own version of wolf friends. And you know, I had a a dog Nico who you know you just you know you have I've had many pets in my life, but you know, just there's sometimes you have a, have a, have a pet dog that you just have a, a bond with. And this was the dog for me in my life so far that I've kind of had that deepest connection with. So, and yeah, you know, I had him since he was a tiny little puppy and, you know, he was kind of wolfish. He was half Husky and, um, and true to his Husky heritage. If anybody out there is a Husky owner, I think you'll probably know what I'm talking about when I say that this dog would eat anything that was not nailed down to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and he just had like, a completely gluttonous appetite. And so when the time came, you know, he was, he was almost 15 years old and, you know, his body just like filters just kind of gave out. But unlike what sometimes happens, and again, this has happened to me with other dogs where again, they sort of mentally and kind of emotionally check out, like you could tell they're like not there anymore, um, which makes making the decision to euthanize them just that much easier. In Nico's case, as in what I think we're seeing here with Filcher, is that it's his body that gave out. And his mind and his personality is still there. And just like yeah. Filcher's last act in life was to steal Cutter's boot, um, Nico's last act in life, you know, we had to obviously bring him in um, to put him to sleep. And the last thing that he ever did was I was laying on the floor in the vet with him, just like Cutter and Filcher is. And, um, and the vet had these, like, delicious peanut butter treats in the room and I literally just sat there and fed him treat after treat after treat and he just was happy as you know as he could be just gobbling down as much food as he can and you know and that's how he went out and so just on a personal level I really Mm -hmm. really related to this story and and again how Wendy and Richard dealt with it and you could tell that Wendy and Richard are dog owners you know they, they know they get it they've been through this themselves and so I just you know another Another thing that I don't know you could probably say about most comic book series that you can as be a reader and and have such a deep emotional um, and and sort of connection to your own personal experience with you know a silly yeah. comic book story about elves, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. Yeah. That's elf quest apart and always has is that personal aspect that um, that touches on the universal. It's you know that's. It's these deeply personal experiences that we all have, um, so it's it touches on both aspects of that. That last act of Filcher stealing Cutter's boot kind of, you know, it, it almost seems to soothe him a little bit, and he says, you know, go on, take it if it makes you happy, and and that little softening and emotional connection 
seems to then trigger him kind of coming a little bit back more into his own brain. And he says, you know, I give up. I don't care if I dream. I have to sleep. I have to. And he like promptly passes out and has this vision of the, you know, the, the wolf rider ritual of the 10 chiefs, um, you know, where you poke your hand and the bloods drop out. Each blood is the blood of 10 chiefs. And you, you know, we get this killer, all new art, you know, pattern of the 10 chiefs, which I think mm. is just, you know, fans everywhere just love the Wolf Rider history and the heritage and getting little glimpses of these, you know, these now long dead Wolf Riders living the way, you know, in the, in the, the old way before the world changed with Cutter discovering other elves and the palace and everything. And so, um, I just think it's rad. So I just wanted to call yeah, it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, we see Tamorn too, who I still think is going to play some sort of role in yeah. the um, in um, Cutter sort of coming to terms in some way with who and what he is. I, I have a feeling that Tamorn is going to play some role in that. Um, and then we also get the, this really cool. It, it's the sequence from well, it starts at Bearclaw and it moves backwards in time. Mm-hmm. I guess what we're looking at and uh we go from Tamorn to a wolf which i believe is Tamane in her wolf form i don't think that's the the wolf that she mated with right so not the father of Tamorn. wendy did um, confirm that on on facebook because folks were confused and so she said like oh, okay. that 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 you know Tamane as wolf Tamane as elf and then Tamane as conehead that's that's what that mm-hmm. that's supposed to be Mm-hmm. Well, that's so. That's the thing here. It goes back as far as Tamane as Conehead in her original form, and actually the original form of all the elves. It's funny because in the palace now, uh, we were talking about Moonshade before, and if mm-hmm. she's taking on High One stature in that form, well, that isn't really even their true form. Their true form is right. Conehead shapes and. That actually, uh, we we see a scene of that with Moonshade and the Go-Backs mm-hmm. in this issue where, or is it later? No, it's, per- it's and, before. It's before, yeah. And they're looking at, on the wall of the palace and they can see the spirits of High Ones and they see them as the Coneheads and mm-hmm. the Go-Backs say something along the lines of, wow, that's going back as as far as you can go. That's even further than, you know, what we, going back to the palace. Right. Um so, so Cutter. Uh, but interestingly, Moonshade—that's where she makes that comment about there are no limits. And if the High Ones in spirit form are appearing in that original form, which we've never really seen them do, like that's not like a scroll of colors memory. That's the actual, you know, visual spirit. manifestation of those those spirits. It does make you wonder, you know, what what the elves that choose to leave the planet and the palace are, are they going to stay in elf form? because it's how they were sort of all born, or are they going to choose to shift back into the conehead form? And it seems mm-hmm. like going, you know, back to the, you know, Cutter's dream sequence, you know, I didn't think about this until you said, you know, it, do, it seems to go from like, you know, recent and then, and then, you know, sort of back in time. And, you know, you as the reader, you know, you follow this progression and it kind of S curves around the page, this double spread. And when Cutter in his dream gets to Tamane as Conehead, that's what shocks him awake. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's important in in some way, you know, in his acceptance and understanding of who he actually is. Like, it's like he can kind of grasp his the wolf rider part of it and even to main shape changing and, you know, in, from an elf into a wolf. But when he when he gets to that part about, oh, yeah, I'm actually this, you know, eons old spacefaring creature, his cutter brain just can't can't comprehend. And he's like shocked awake by it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is going back to um, how is he going to integrate this into who he is and can he, can he accept this? Right. Um, Is he capable of accepting it? Maybe he's just, you know, maybe Wolf Riders just can't handle that to that extent. Right. You know, they sort of like the surface level, they can kind of grok it, but to actually realize that you are that, Right. Mm-hmm. Is it too much to handle? Right. Well, Cutter even says in an earlier issue, you know, and in, in other places throughout ElfQuest, like, I'm just a simple wolf rider. You know, like, I I can't see. He says it at the end of um, the Discovery, I think, when, when Snakeskin is sitting in the palace and seeing um, Surge and his mother in spirit form. And I think even then he says something like, I'm just a simple elf. I can't see it as well as as, as you might be able to, you know, this sort of this other world beyond that, you know, elves have the potential to tap into if they are so inclined. And, you know, it seems like the, the sun folk generally are, and, um, you know, even wolf riders like Moonshade are, but Cutter, like who he is just is much more earthy and grounded. And so to be confronted with that aspect of his dream, again, seems traumatic. And I think that's, you know, that, that, that's what his trauma is all about. Like he is like this earth bound, creature or he thought he was and now the knowledge that he's not is just again it's more than he can bear yeah i I mean i i sympathize with him imagine finding out that who you thought you were is totally wrong a lie it's wrong it's not true at all yeah and and you have to sort of come to terms with that it would be extremely challenging to the point where i mean in a sense, Cutter was kind of suicidal at the beginning of this issue. Right. He was willing to die. He just wanted it to end this pain that he was going through, mm-hmm. this existential crisis. You know, just, you know, I mean, he says to the wolves, go on, eat us. He's yeah. sort of given up. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there's a few other chunks of deliciousness in this issue that uh, we can probably dive into in no particular order. But um, sure. so, uh, you know, going back to the beginning, um, just following the se- sequence of events, the wolves don't eat Cutter, um, you know, filter faints, they move on. Then we cut to the the quest, the questing elves to find Cutter. And again, we hear Redlands saying like, you know, Cutter's jumping from tree to tree and rock to rock. He doesn't want us to follow him. You know, thankfully Filcher is like peeing on things as he's going and we're able to track <laughs> his scent markings, which is also a nice little true to life little bit. If you've ever owned a male dog. Um, and, uh, you know, we learn that he's following the hub star heading North and, you know, Lita says this really kind of crushing thing that like she can't, she's got this, hard lump in her in her in her chest because she can't even discern whether or not cutter's still alive and she's just like in a daze thinking about like what on earth could have changed him so and she almost falls into this sinkhole but good old dreon the giant snaps her mm-hmm. up <laughs> without batting an eye 
Um, mm -hmm. So that was a nice little, another, another really neat little sequential um, moment where you have these three panels where you kind of see Lita, you know, falling into the hole and Dryon snapping up and grabbing her cloak before she really falls underground and hurts herself and just kind of hoists yeah. her up onto the back of his no hump. What an enigma uh, Dreon is at this point. I mean, we really don't know what part he's playing in this quest for Cutter, and we have no idea who he is, where he comes from, yeah. um, what his this uh, singing ability means. I mean, Lita describes it as a different kind of healing, mm -hmm. a, a type of magic. A different so, kind of magic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what does she mean by that? Like, it seems to sort of tap into something within the elves where it's calming and soothing. Uh, will that come into play in some respect with uh, bringing Cutter back or helping Cutter? It's uh, got to. It's got to. I mean, yeah. it's been, you know, we're getting little snippets. There's definitely some foreshadowing going on here with you know, Dreon and, you know, he's, he's obviously operating on like a different level of perception, I think is, might be the right word than the other elves. And yeah, that's why he doesn't talk. And, and you know, he kind of, his, ver his form of communicating is, is oral, like A-U-R-E-L, like, you know, it, 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 it's sound, but it's not words. It's, it's music and it's humming. And um, I know that Wendy is very, musically oriented and maybe that's where this is coming from like just like the power that tune and melody can have um you know on on your way of feeling and being in any given moment and how that can influence you in one direction or the other it seems like that's what they're putting into to Dreon and that you know because he's an elf he's able to take it to that like nth degree and and actually influence other people as a result of it in a in a positive way. Yeah, it, um, I agree with that. And I think I, I mentioned this, and other people have mentioned it. But I think in the last podcast I mentioned it's it's almost um, Dreon sort of represents a, a sort of neurodiversity sort of perspective where mm -hmm. you know maybe he's not necessarily autistic, but sort of. Um, like maybe the ElfQuest version of that, right? In some way, you know, he his brain is operating differently. It right. works in a way that's different from the other elves. The one thing I'm trying to figure out is how the hell did they figure out what his name is? <laughs> <laughs> who, who told them? I, I don't know. Maybe you know, maybe he sung it. Maybe the, he does. No hump. Yeah, maybe he does. Maybe he does use words. I mean, in that scene when he's introduced, um. Doesn't Skyway say something like, this is Dryon, he doesn't talk much. So maybe he does say oh, words yeah. or, you know, w you know, one words. Maybe he doesn't use sentences. I don't know. Um, because we haven't seen him use words. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's just one of those mysteries that <laughs> they, had to, they had to tell us his name somehow. So I don't well, know what's going on there. Um, but, yeah, no, I think the, uh, the uh, autism parallel is really interesting because I, I I'm going to guess that that wasn't something that Wendy and Richard necessarily like deliberately thought they thought about and deliberately created kind of an ElfQuest analog for that. Um, but I think it's a perfect example of, of how 
reading a story like ElfQuest is really an interactive, almost in many ways, a two-way street that you can kind of get out of it a lot of what you bring to it. And if that is something that you is in your awareness or if it's something, you know, that is a personal, you know, there's a personal thing there for you and you see a character like this that you can relate to. Um, wow, that's amazing. You know, and yeah, and, and you're right. I have seen lots of people making that comment like, oh, you know, he's nonverbal and yet he has this other way of communicating. And it's, you know, there's a difference there. And, you know, if you're going to go with that kind of metaphor, um, what an amazing way, it, what an amazing example that the rest of the elves are, are, are giving to us as readers in the real world on how to, you know, sort of coexist or, or, or you know, I don't know what the right word is, but how to how to be around somebody who maybe is a little bit different than you, you know, here in the real yeah. world, obviously we, you know, we humans, cause we're not telepathic and we're not these great empathetic beings are oftentimes really wicked and cruel to each other, especially when people are different and have different, you know, abilities and whatever. Right. And so the yeah. elves here are just like, Oh yeah, he's different. And they just go with the flow of it, um, which is kind yeah. of nice. Um, uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. The other thing I just wanted to add is I love his clothes. <laughs> I, I mentioned we probably talked about that before, but every time I see him, like yeah. this guy has really good style. <laughs> well, maybe you know, maybe one day there'll be like a licensed line of ElfQuest fashion, and you know you could actually buy like the Dreon coat, and <laughs> that would be so cool. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, cosplayers out there. I can guarantee you that if somebody shows up in costume as Dryon, Wendy will flip her lid. So oh, that that's a challenge awesome. you cosplayers out there, you know, and it actually doesn't seem like it would be too crazy of an outfit. And frankly, it's probably an outfit that would be um, more flattering than some on the human form. Um, you know, a lot of the elves wear clothes that like you have to be like a supermodel to pull off wearing. Um, but yeah. Dreyon, you know, he's got a coat, he's got pants, you know, bigger, yeah. you know, big yeah. humans could probably pull that off. So, yeah, I mean, I would do it, but I'm way too skinny to play Dreyon. So <laughs> it wouldn't work for me. But I think Wendy mentioned that she based it on um, his clothing design on, was it Icelandic? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I think it was Iceland. I wanted. I was about to say Mongolian, but I think she might have said Iceland. Yeah, traditional Icelandic clothing. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember something about that, or I, I, I think she said something like that along the lines of the go back character sort of look and feel, like kind of like the Scandinavian look or whatever. And maybe that was in reference to Dryon too, because his clothing no, I, yes does kind of look like that. Too. I remember her her saying Dryon something about. The culture she uh, she referenced, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I guess whatever culture that is, they know how to dress. Well. Right. <laughs> I love so, it. So, uh, so we get the the um, Cutter's Heart Circle here. We're still searching for him, and then we're back at the Holt with Ember as acting chiefess. Right. Um, and everybody's uh, dropping dreamberries before they go <laughs> on their hunt, which. I'm not sure it's such a good idea. I was thinking about that. Isn't that sort of akin to maybe like drinking? Drunk driving? <laughs> yeah. Do, do not oh, operate sharp like, objects like spears and swords <laughs> while under the influence. <laughs> do not put your key into the ignition of your direwolf 
and dried it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't well, know. you know, yeah. maybe this is, you know, maybe they're just taking one or two and it's sort of the equivalent of having a cocktail before dinner. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Um, what it is. Yep. But yeah, this scene is kind of interesting because, um, yeah, like you say, like Ember's there. She's trying to sort of reassure the, the wolf riders, um, you know, that everything's going to be okay. And, you know, I mean, frankly, they, they, they all seem fairly nonchalant about the fact that Cutter is, you know, gone AWOL. Um, you know, I don't know. None of them seem super well, concerned. I think, no, but life goes on, right? Uh, they're right. still wolf riders. They still have to eat. Uh, and um, they're still living in the now. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think there is an undercurrent of concern, obviously, but on top of that, you know, they they still have to survive, and survival requires the hunt to take place. So, right, you got to do what you got to do, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I think gotta I think, eat. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And you know, the fact that like, well, number one, they probably have a sense of comfort in knowing that there is a, a a group questing to go find Cutter and that, you know, if Lita can't find him and help him, then no one can, you know? And so I think they probably have a sense of everything's going to turn out okay in the end, um, A. And then B, like you said, they're wolf riders, so they're living in the now. Like, they weren't picked to go on the quest, so they're not going to sit there and worry about it. They're going to just sort of go about their business and hope for the best. So, yeah, I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting um, to me yeah. about this is is what Ember is saying. You know, she's again kind of reassuring the tribe that, um, you know, that I'm going to keep to the way, um, in like in Bear Claw's day. And then she she references something that she said back in Hidden Years number four when she was sort of an uppity teenager, kind of challenging Cutter and you know feeling what do they say? What's the feeling her 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 oats or sowing her oats or whatever. Um, whatever that phrase is. Wild oats. Yeah. And in that story, you know, she says to Cutter, Hey, like, don't be so stubborn and, and like stuck in, you know, stuck, like the world is different now and we've got to be able to adapt with it if we're going to survive. And she makes that comment that, you know, the way really does need to be stretched and bent sometimes in order to, 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 to accommodate all this newness that's coming in because that's what's going to keep the way vibrant and alive and dynamic. And here, which I thought was a really profound thing and observation that she made. Um, and it's interesting because now that she's older, you know, Ember is what in her fifties now or something. Um, and she's a, a chief in her own right. And, you know, I guess maybe as happens in the real world, sometimes you're very optimistic in your youth. And then the older you get and the more you see of the world, you do tend to get a little bit more conservative. Maybe that's what's going on. Here. I think it's more, she's more pragmatic now, right? Yeah. She's a bit more. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's been leading her own tribe for years. She, uh, yeah, I, I think that's what happens. You know, when you're a teenager, you're full of hormones and you're crazy <laughs> and then you get and optimistic, you, you know, too. and now, now yeah. I guess, I'm kind of answering my own question, I guess, is, is that, yeah, I mean, she's a little bit older, wiser, more experienced, and she's yeah. realizing that, that, um, that, uh, so sort of maybe, uh, youthful and maybe a little naive idea isn't really where it's at. And that, um, you know, she's going to, 
she is actually now seeing the value of keeping the traditions and and um, again maybe being a little bit more conservative and again i think that's kind of what happens in real life with people yeah exactly and then of course pike's like well we haven't gabbed about dreams in a while let's eat some dream berries <laughs> <laughs> yeah which he happens to have at the ready um of course but what's neat here too he is carries that, a stash around with yeah metal. of course don't you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's neat here is like we're you know I feel like this is the first scene where we're kind of beginning to lay out what's going to happen. Cause we're already halfway through final quest, which I, I hate to even bring up because it, you know, it's a terrifying thought to think that this made last major story arc in cutter's tale is going to end. But I feel like we're starting to see, you know, like directly answer the question, like who's going to end up where. And Aurori says like, I'm probably going to end up in the palace New Star and Older say, mm, I think we're going to stay in the woods. Um, a little bit later, um, we hear that um, that Audrey has chosen to go to the palace. You know, she's been living with the Wolf Riders and underground with um, with uh, Tree Stump and Clearbrook, helping them in the forge. But you know, she's not really needed there anymore, and so she has returned to the palace. Um, and so, I, again, I feel like. The, the 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 pieces are starting to be to move into their final positions um which is again yeah. just kind of interesting and kind what of anxiety inducing at the same time definitely yeah yeah uh because we have been talking about that here and there right what yeah. who's going to stay who's going to go and now we're it's starting to sort of coalesce and crystallize as to what the choices are going to be but what i found interesting in these series of panels is what oler says mm-hmm. uh he says i hear the call ever more faintly for i choose to stay with newstar yeah so that tells me that um based on their internal choice mm-hmm. as to whether or not they're going to go then the the palace responds to each elf individually and uh if you choose to stay on the world of two moons then the the call becomes faint yeah, or, yeah, or fainter, yeah, fainter, yeah, um, well, which I, I think is really interesting. Yeah, and you know that that panel made me think Hunter. too about Strongbow, um, and you know he does say, you know, for me the call of the palace is is there, but it's not overwhelming, or something like that in a previous issue, and you know as contrasting to Moonshade, who is like consumed by it and you know really wants to dive head on into it. So I do think, yeah, that the different elves are. Like they're all hearing it and they're all, you know, have to respond to it, make a choice on how to respond to it. But it does seem like what their personal wish is and their personal choice is has an influence on how intense that is. And it's like if you if you are interested in it, it's going to sort of deepen and become even stronger. And if you're not, you know, it's not going to totally go away, but it's not going to overwhelm you, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, Um exactly. So speaking of Strongbow, um, this scene yep. ends with this really interesting conversation that actually starts with Yun and um, Yun, to pronounce it correctly, um, and mm-hmm. um, Pike. And Pike, you know, in his in his wisdom, Pike pointing out that, yeah, you know, our our part of us, no matter how much we are changed, kind of exists in our children. And you know, he's talking about. Skywise's wolf blood and that aspect of him, you know, continuing forward in his daughter Young. And then of course that makes Tree Stump look back at 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 Strongbow and try to provide a little bit of comfort to him as he's still struggling to deal with Moonshade's choice 
to give up her wolf blood. And he says, you know, that part of Moonshade, because she had children, is going to continue on. And, you know, which I think, you know, is kind of an interesting thing. I never really thought about that. And, if you know, Strongbow has an interesting reaction in that he's like, that's true, but what is what is that going to mean? Is that only going to make this worse? You know, when I perceive right. that bit of wolfiness in Dart and Free Touch. Um, so, yeah, interesting. And that's when we cut to the panel where we see Moonshade and the two Gobacks seeing the the high ones in Conehead form. And, and basically she's like, don't think about limits. There are none. And I think that's probably mm. one of the most important panels in all of Final Quest or important R- statements. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think that's... Okay, explain that. Well... Just just in in that, that's that's what it like. What this is all about is choosing limitlessness, or choosing limits that, for lack of a better way of saying it, that that work for you. You know, like what we were just talking about with Oler. Like Oler, because especially since he's an immortal elf, can choose to live this world where he can be any shape and can travel anywhere in the universe, like literally no limits. Or he can choose a life that is, you know, sort of bound by the rules of this one particular world. And he seems to be choosing the latter. Yeah, and but I'm thinking about that and I'm just thinking of the consequences of that choice for him. Uh, because he's decided to stay on the world of two moons with New Star, and he knows that New Star is mortal. She knows that she is. Uh, they even mention that, that uh, essentially she's going to die at some point. Mm-hmm physically uh so what will become of oler the palace will be gone he'll be left on the world of two moons as an immortal and he'll be uh he might be completely alone uh depending on what the, the circumstances are uh if new star dies you know what's an immortal elf going to do on the world of two moons once the palace is gone right and the consequences of that yeah and i think the that, that totally. And, you know, in this moment, you know, maybe he's thinking he's not thinking that analytically or that human like, I guess, um, you know, I think he's thinking, well, yeah, in like 4000 years, maybe I'll just call for the palace because Sunstream's out there and, you know, hopefully we'll pick up on my call. But it makes me wonder, like when the palace is actually physically not on the world of two moons, what mm-hmm. that happens to the elves, because we know that when the palace was dormant and when it was buried beneath the glacier, you know, the elves lost a lot of their magical aptitude. And it wasn't until the palace yeah. was restored uh, by the glider spirits that it kind of got itself recharged and was able to then recharge the elves themselves and, and bring them back to their higher self, if you will. And so if the palace itself is gone, what does that mean for the elves that are still there that don't have that, you know, Again, I like to think of the palace as a battery, as an elf battery, right? Um, yeah. If that's not there, do they become more earthbound? Do they become – I mean I hate to make a Tolkien reference or analogy, but I do think it, 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 there, there is one there. Well, we've made them before. Yeah. Um, in, there is one there in that you know, if you think of these sort of high elves, the Galadriel types, you know, like they all leave the world, um, the Middle Earth. And yeah. I, again, I think you can draw an analogy. Right. And the ones that stayed were sort of the, the wood elves, the and they were sort of considered, for lack of a better term, lesser, I guess. You know, they were less magical. They were more earthy. And I wonder, you know, what would happen to the elves, the immortal elves, at least, on the world of two moons, if they would 
again, sort of go back to you know pre-palace days. Like think of the sun the sun villagers before the palace came to them. You know, they were gardeners. They didn't have magic. Right. You know, they survived kind of like the wolf riders did. You know, they were pretty much at the mercy of the 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 elements and the other living creatures and you know they lived a fine wonderful life but you know they weren't they couldn't send they couldn't you know th- those of them that did have any magic were almost revered and nowadays like every one of them can basically manipulate things and shape things and you know so it's kind of interesting to think about and i don't know that we'll ever explore that in the final quest because i have a feeling that whatever happens at the final quest, like those end panels are going to be whoever leaves, leaves. And that's it. Like, I don't think they're going to really take the story beyond that. Um, I don't know. That's just my guess. Mm. Uh, well, just thinking about that is right. <laughs> pretty profound. Yeah. Yeah. And Wendy has said that this is going to be the last one that she does, right? Yeah. She recently um, posted on Facebook or, or, or followed up on things that she said before um, about not not ever wanting to work under uh, you know a sort of serial comic book deadline anymore, um, which I think is totally fair, right? She's been doing this for over forty yeah. years, um, and Wendy and Richard deserve uh, you know a retirement, if you will, um, just as much as anybody else does. So you know, while ElfQuest sure. isn't ending, it does sound like this is probably the last again major serial comic book series that Wendy is interested in doing. Now, does that mean that she's never going to draw us again? Can we just I... take a pause for a moment? I need to go get some food. <laughs> yeah, I know. If, <laughs> if we weren't recording this, um, you know, uh, in in the morning, I would just go and get a shot of whiskey to just sort of <laughs> cope with that that sentence that I just said. But um, I would join you in that. <laughs> but you know, uh, he, here's where we fans can't be greedy, right? Um, yeah. That that we've you know we've got to respect Wendy and Richard's decisions on how they spend their life, right? So, um, as as painful as that is, I kind of have a Wolf Riders attitude about it. You know, it's that's the reality, and I'm gonna not let that hamper my enjoyment of what I have right now, right? Yeah, you're you're being you're taking the Wolf Rider mentality. I'm taking the greedy troll mentality. <laughs> I'm picturing you right now, like. Like full blown trinket mode, like on your belly, like screaming and bashing your fists against the ground, <laughs> <laughs> with a little purple bow in your hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I want more of quest. <laughs> Throwing a tantrum. Yeah, I'm, it's getting close. Yeah. Getting... So anyway, yeah, um, that's um. I don't know that we'll get answers to those question or that question of like what happens to the immortal elves that stay in the world of two moons. Um, at least not from, well, we might get some sort of epilogue. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, it would be kind of cool to get an epilogue and see, okay, when they leave where they end up, if, even if it's just a page or two, you know, and then what happens to the immortals. I mean, we know that future quest happens. So, right. and there is a number of mysteries that have yet to be answered. Right. Uh, I'm sure that Wendy and Richard will have their will be involved in that in some way, um, it, even if it's not Wendy illustrating it right. uh, or or even writing. If Wendy and Richard are writing it, they I would assume that they would have some sort of uh, like the overarching right. 
Well, that that is what Wendy said when she when she shared that on Facebook. That you know, again, that she's probably not interested in doing, you know, sort of a, a being victim or or maybe victim isn't the right word, but you know, sort of being subject to the, the grueling deadline schedule of producing a bi-monthly comic book um, at this stage of her life after she's done with this. And so, uh, but she also did say that you know, whatever future stories might be told, um, that she would be involved, you know, uh, as art advisor or whatever. And, and again, I can't imagine Wendy and Richard just sort of saying that, that this isn't the end of ElfQuest and that there's a possibility of other stories that might be, you know, told by other people and then just sort of, you know, cleaning their hands off and walking away into the sunset. I don't see that happening either. So who knows? I mean, frankly, I don't think anybody knows, right? I think let's yeah. get through final quest and then see what happens. Right. Okay. <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> Let's um, focus on this right now. Let's focus on Final Quest. Right. right. Yeah. Live in the now, Ryan. Live in the now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the last thing, um, the last kind of major event in this issue is um, yeah. Venka coming and channeling a little bit of her mom, I think, uh, for the first time that we've ever really seen. And, you know, kind of kicking some ass when it comes to Two Edge and her response to... A, getting shot by a gun that he created or a design that he created anyway. And um, I thought this was really interesting because, again, you know, even the other elves are like, oh, the, the, those, those darn humans, like, you know, the go-backs are like slit their throats. And, and Venka, true to form, true to character, is like stepping up a couple notches and saying, you know, like, yeah, the humans are a problem. And, you know, but they're no more of a problem than they've always been and they're no more they're not doing anything differently than they always have which is sort of be stupid and ignorant and try to kill us who she's really pissed at is two edge for essentially giving them this technology that is potentially so dangerous and damaging and rather than focus on you know the humans she is going right to the source and saying like look what you did like you gotta stop doing this like you have to think before you act because there are consequences and she absolutely leverages her power over him because he's totally in love with her and, and actually sends to her so that he can not just know it in his brain, but he could feel it, you know, her getting shot. Cause he knows it's going to have like a huge emotional impact on him to really drive the message home that again, that your actions have consequences and now we're all going to suffer because of them. Mm-hmm. And two edges reaction is interesting because he doesn't seem to get that. And his, his reaction is totally, you know, self-focus because he says, oh, my God, she hates me. I'm going to be I'm going to be alone again, you know, instead of thinking, oh, God, I really screwed up. And, you know, maybe I should do things differently. He's kind of going to that, like his like emotional level, which seems to be like trapped in like, you know, sort of a teenager. Right. Um, yeah. I kind of feel like this whole attempt by Venka to um show two edge the consequences of his own actions failed miserably <laughs> just because of what you just said his reaction isn't oh my god i really screwed up and i need to take responsibility for what i did it's oh my god this maiden that i'm totally in love with hates me now and right. i'm gonna, i'm going to be alone forever so it's completely removed from the con taking responsibility for what he's done and the consequences of that it his reaction has absolutely nothing to do with that with what she intended 
to to show him or to call him out on. Right. Um, and 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 that of course makes me really anxious because what the hell is he going to do next? Right? Mm-hmm. Like he's obviously going to have some reaction to this. You know, he's obviously going to take some action in response. And to your point, I just don't see him suddenly maturing, you know, in the next issue and saying, oh, you know what? I did screw up. I'm going to own it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make a commitment not to do this. Again. He's going to do something stupid and he's going to do something mm-hmm. radical and he's going to do something that's probably going to get the elves into even more trouble. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Two Edge will mm-hmm. redeem himself and maybe he will make some choice that is, you know, a, 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 a grown up's choice, but I just don't see it happening. I would love for it to happen. I would love to see Two Edge grow a little bit and get a measure of peace, but he's such damaged goods that for every yeah. step forward he takes, he seems to still take two steps back. I don't know. Uh, I really like to see this side of Venka, um, which we haven't seen as to the before, where she's this aggressive. Yeah. Well, she's pissed. Her, uh, yeah. You know, I we mean... haven't really seen that. I just, I'm just disappointed, I guess, that it wasn't effective in communicating. She wasn't really effective in getting her point across. Um, although that might just be on the part of Two Edge that he just can't grasp what she's trying to say to him right. to take responsibility. He is like a, a child. He is still stuck in that. And, I mean, that's a consequence of having been abused by his right. deranged, insane mother for <laughs> millennia, right? I mean, yeah. talk about emotional abuse and uh, emotionally damaged. I would like to see some sort of... Um, Closure. Some point, hopefully some closure yeah. for Two Edge. Some some sort of resolution to his decades-spanning storyline here where he suffered so much. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it, he seems to get so close to not only sanity but s- uh, emotional stability at mm-hmm. times, and then something happens that totally screws it up. Right. Um, and it's usually him. He usually right. screws it up. Uh, so I, I mean, I would like to see him at some point find the healing that he needs. And I, I don't think it's going to come from Lita and I don't think it's going to come from Mender or anyone else. It has to come from within him. He has to acknowledge his own, um, he has to take responsibility for his past transgressions and accept that and come to terms with that. And then from that, you know, find a way out of this. I don't know if Venk is going to play a part in that or not. I mean, there's been so much talk of are they going to recognize? Can Two Edge recognize? Mm-hmm. Is Two Edge going to recognize, right? Recognition, recognition, recognition for Two Edge. I don't know if that's what he needs, really. I don't know if that's really going to help him. I think he needs to find within himself some sort of healing. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, that, that yeah. And that seems to be. Every you know, in every story arc that we've had with Two Edge from the very beginning, that seems to be you know where w- what the conclusion is that you know he has to grow himself enough to be able to accept whatever healing is out there, and that his participation um, is key to it all. And so, yeah, it's um, you know, it's a testament again to the to the well roundedness of these characters that Wendy and Richard have created that so many of us have empathy for. Um, for Two Edge, even though, you know, in many ways he still is a villain, you know, and even if it's like, 
a passive villain by creating a gun, of, you know, a hundred years ago or whatever, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so, you know, that's kind of the role he's playing in the story. And in that sense, you know, usually you don't have a lot of empathy for the villains of the story, but, you know, even someone like Tuich, I think so many of us do only wish the best for him. And we want to see, you know, we would love to see him get a measure of peace in his life. I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but, uh, but, you know. Yeah, I think that empathy comes from us knowing what his past was and what his childhood right. was. So we empathize with him on that level, right? Or sympathize, sympathize, child. Yeah, a better sympathize. Word. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, but yeah, yeah, yes, um, we sympathize with him because we we respond to him as a child, and I mean, he still acts like a child in in most ways. So we can sympathize with him on that level while still wanting him to face the consequences of his actions and take responsibility for them. I just, I find, um, like I said, because he seems to get so close to that and then something happens usually of his own making that right. prevents him from sort of finding that healing. And I just, I'm, it, it's frustrating. <laughs> I find it frustrating. If you think it's frustrating, I, you should ask him. <laughs> yeah. I, but I don't know if he finds it frustrating because I'm I'm not even sure he's self-aware enough to understand what he's done. Well, I think and, he's certainly finding it frustrating. I mean, his reaction here to what Benka says, I think, is frustration is, is probably the mildest of his reactions. But you're right. I don't think he's self-aware about it at all. And that's his problem, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Venka, the um, I also – she got another costume change here and – you know, again, as Wendy and her masterful, masterful comic or costume design has um, kind of reflected a little bit of Venka's anger in the color choice. So she's still in her normal, you know, sort of uh, tans and yellows, but now she's got a little bit of red going on, which I think is kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that that's a bit of an homage to her dad, too. Well, true. I was actually thinking more Kavi because Kavi has been known to wear red, too, but... Um, yeah, that's true. They both they both do, and um, if nothing else, the color red is you know it, it's it's a fiery, um, aggressive color, and we're seeing that aspect in Venka that we uh, we really have never seen before. And I think the I think getting shot is a good reason to get pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think it you know there's there's some good logic there into why this sort of serene, peaceful elf. Who has been known to take people out, but in a in a passive way, is taking a little bit more of a of an aggressive tone. So, yeah, yeah, physically aggressive too. I mean, she throws her shield at him. Right. That's something we haven't really seen from her before. Right. Anything, nothing close to that. Yeah. So where will that take us? I don't know, but um, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I, be I, interesting. To see. Yeah. On that mm-hmm. note. Um, Yep. We've kind of covered everything that I had on my list of things to dive into. We've been going for a little over two hours, so we should probably yep. wrap up. Is there anything else that sure. we didn't get to that, that you want to chat about? Uh, there's just one thing that I wanted to mention, but it's actually from a few issues ago, and I I wanted to talk about it at the time, but I never I, – I think I forgot, and then I just never got around to it. But it, it's in the back of issue 12, and we get a few – pages of to Maine. Um, oh right yeah mm-hmm. it's it's the extras right in the back of the issue and there's uh, an image of to Maine there and it's uh, uh, an illustration of her transforming into the wolf and it says it would have been 
this image would have been uh, actually yeah. If Tamain had had a back cover in the original Warp Graphics series of comics, it would. Oh right. So uh, it was used instead for uh, concept for uh, one of the attempts at the movie. Um, but in the in the other caption for that same image, it's something struck me. Uh, what's written here? It says Tamain High One First Comer, Mother of the Wolf Riders, possibly the last survivor of the alien beings who fell to the world of two moons millennia ago. Mm-hmm. Now, I found that extremely cryptic, and I just wanted to bring that up and maybe just briefly discuss that with you, because when I saw the word possibly, I went, what? <laughs> well, let me, I, I just called it up. Let's see. Um, they don't do that uh, just casually. Wendy and Richard don't drop things like that right. casually. Well, but at the same time, right, at the same time, they delight, and I think Richard in particular delights in saying things that could be, you know, could mean one thing, but could totally mean another thing. And And I mean, even beyond just the literal meaning of those words, like possibly, right, that could go either way. But like, the fact that they included that could mean that they're alluding to some big plot development, or it could mean that they are putting that in there to make us think that they're thinking that, that they're going to have some big plot development where there's going to be a high one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it can yeah. go either way, but it is an interesting observation. I didn't, I didn't pick that up when I read it. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that was it. I just wanted to point that out. And I, I uh, am in complete agreement with you that it could go either way, right? It yeah. could be that being their dastardly selves, or it could be <laughs> foreshadowing for right. something that, is completely unexpected. Well, we will just have to keep reading to find that out. Yes, we will. <laughs> we will. And, uh, yeah, so we've got a, a few more months then before the next issue. Yeah. Bit of a wait. but yeah. We should probably we'll schedule a recording time since it's taken us so long to get to this one. I and even know. the last one, um, you know, with our insane schedules. So, um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, the next issue is coming out on July 24th. Um, let me think here. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, no, July 27th. So, um, yeah, let's, let's already, let's, let's try to block off like that week now so that we can get a a recording going so we don't have to wait, you know, a month and a half after the issue comes out. Okay. I'll mark it into my agenda. There you go. All right. uh, I hope that Wendy... And uh, and Richard and and Sonny get a bit of a respite with that uh, extended period, though, to work on the issue. I hope that they can get a little bit of breathing room and enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds to me from what Wendy posted online that uh, you know, a few weeks after her procedure, she was you know back in the saddle working on issue fifteen. So. Um, yeah, yeah. And maybe they'll get a little bit of breathing room, but um, it seems like they are, um, you know, they, they've been back at it some, you know, pretty much immediately after their break. So, but yeah. Oh yeah, sure. I'm just thinking maybe it would, you know, extend the uh, the time you have to work on the issue, so right. you're not uh, working under such tight deadlines. It yeah. Might just give you a bit of, a, you know, a respite. Right. I hope. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad Wendy's doing well. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, we we all are. Absolutely, yeah. I think everybody, um, 
everybody was sending, you know, good vibes um, to make sure that everything went well. And it sounds like it did. So, um, you know, I think that's another testament to how cool ElfQuest is because we've got just such a great community of fans that um, really genuinely care about ElfQuest and Wendy and Richard and each other and all that good stuff. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Alrighty, well, okay, well, we did it. We finally did it. <laughs> I know. We got I just to it after after multiple attempts and I'm uh, not going to. Difficulties. I'm not going to rest until I get that text message from you in 25 minutes saying everything's good. <laughs> so please do not leave me hanging. And, um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I promise not to. I I have to admit I have a slight anxiety that I'm going to. Oh my god! Don't even tell me that. Picking <laughs> on the file. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully that's not the case. So everybody, thanks for listening. Um, cross your fingers that there's no technical issues. If you're listening to is this, there weren't. But you know, then we'll we'll pay that forward to next time too. So excellent. All right. Uh, until then, we'll um, we'll 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 see you online, everyone. Yep. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called "Hunting for Experience" by Epicus from their album "An Epic Journey." You can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or multimedia projects on jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussions on ElfQuest.com, on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The Final Quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water. <laughs>